Right, good evening, gang. We are going to be in Acts chapter 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts 17. That's right, thank you. I got a little nervous. It's been a really interesting, it's like they know, I'm leaving, I'm leaving town tomorrow morning at 4 a.m. And I'm on I'm for a while, and uh, I will come back, maybe. Um, but it's like they smelled it that I was leaving, and all of a sudden, the Rogers Pharmacy just blew up, man. Everybody wants something today. And so I've, I've actually got an auction set up in Bedford, Iowa tonight at 9 or 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. tonight just to get, I know. Give me a break. Can't you just breathe slower? It's what I told them. Just. <laughs> yeah, would you just drop it off? Just drive by slow. It's gone wheels. It'll just roll up to the front door. So anyway, it's been a little busy, so when I said Acts, I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy and going in the wrong direction, but I think we're going to be okay. All right. Acts 17. Um, I noticed some people, some ladies have signed up for the um, cookies and the things for breaking chains. Really need to have what you're going to bring. Most of you did, but there's three that didn't sign up and tell us what they're going to bring for the fruit. You kind of need to know so we kind of understand. So um, just mark it next to your name, um, uh, what the fruit is that you're going to be bringing so we have a variety and, and so on. Okay. All right, Acts 17. Paul is moving through on his second missionary trip here with Silas this time. We know what happened with Barnabas and uh, John Mark, or, and uh, it didn't work out. And John Mark is going to do his thing with, with his cousin Barnabas and Paul and Silas are on their way. Now, they're going to run into several cities here. As Dr. Luke has written this in the first verse here, they, they actually are traveling over 100 miles. So it must have taken a couple weeks for them to do this on foot. We assume they're on foot. Um, but they're moving quickly. And you notice how the Lord is moving them. He promised them this thing. You're going to preach in Jerusalem and then in uh, Galilee and then into the outermost, you know, in Judea and the outermost parts of the world. And that's where they're getting to. They're getting out to the outermost parts of the world. So they're getting into territory where Paul's never even, he's never been before. I mean, he's seeing cities and things he's never seen before, a portion of the world. And so that's kind of their mindset. So they're really, really out there, you know, um, which is good. You know, it's good for God to get even Paul out of his comfort zone, you know, but nothing changes. I'm interested it has how uh, they feel like the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to change because of the culture. Paul preaches whether he's in Jerusalem or whether he's all the way up into, you know, Athens and so on. It's the same gospel. It's the same message. Everybody knows they're a sinner. They all feel it in their hearts. They know they've done things wrong. And so they try to make up for it by doing more good things than bad things, hoping that things, when they die kind of all works out in the end. I hope I did more good things than bad things. And Paul's here to tell them the bad things you've done still have to be paid for. You can't rob and steal a, a cookie here and a, and a, and a, and a I don't know, a, 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 an iPod here and then work your way up to a car there and then say, but from here on out, I'm going to be good. And that'll make up for the car I stole, for the iPad I stole, or iPod I stole, and, 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 and for the cookie that I took. It doesn't work that way. You still have to pay the price for those wrong things. You just don't have anything else charged against you is all that you've done with your good life. 
And so Paul speaks to the heart. That's what the good news is, the gospel is of Jesus Christ, is that Christ paid for those sins. I know you all know this, but it's important. When we go into another country, when you go into a different culture, the need is still the same. The need of a Savior, someone who's going to take my penalty for me, someone who's going to pay the price for me. Otherwise, I have to pay it, and the payment is death. But instead, Christ died instead of us. He took our payment. All the wrongs we ever did were nailed to the cross. He became sin for us. And all of God's wrath was poured out. His judgment was poured out on Christ for our sakes. That's the gospel. And that is universal. That is in every country. Christianity is the only religion where God reaches down to man. Every other religion is God reaching up or man reaching up to God. And we're just not tall enough. We just can't reach him. It doesn't matter how good we are, no matter what we do, we still fall short of reaching him. So God, knowing that because he loves us, reached down to us. You can't do it, but I can do it for you. And he reached out because he's a loving, merciful, gracious God. All right, so that's where we start. Verse 1, chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through... Oh boy, somebody help me here. That place. And Apollonia, I got that one. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And remember, that's, that's Paul's move. That's what he does. He goes into the synagogue and preaches Jesus. He probably picked Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, something from the Old Testament, and shared with them because the New Testament wasn't written. You understand? Hopefully I'll all get this. When they preach the gospel from the scriptures, they're using the Old Testament to preach the gospel. They don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John yet. I mean, maybe some of it. But they weren't preaching from there. Look what it says here. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining the dem- and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. That means Savior. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas from the Scriptures. The accepted Scriptures back then were the Pentateuch, the prophets, and the poets. In other words, the Old Testament. That's what he preached from. So just like when, um, oh boy, the table servant who got transported over to minister to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip, thank you, my goodness. Just like Philip ran up to the Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian was reading, and he says, can you explain to me what the prophet's talking about? And from that scripture, he preached Jesus, okay? That's what's happening here. You guys, Isaiah 53, written thousands of years before Christ. Psalm 22, all speaks of events prophesied about, and Jesus fulfilled them. Nobody else ever has. That's the beauty of the Bible. It's full of prophecy, true prophecy. It's all come to, to pass. And so he explained it to them. Look, the Christ we've all been waiting for, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And some believe. They were excited. But there's always a but. Verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Jason was the guy keeping him. It's like a, uh, he, they'd stay at his house is the idea. 
and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. In other words, Jason had to post bail. So you give us, you know, $10,000, we'll let you go home, but we want to see you in court. You know, that's the idea. So they took security from Jason to do this. They turned the world upside down. They did it there, and now they're doing it here. That's what, the, that's what they accused Peter of doing, wasn't it? These guys have filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, was what they said about Peter. Now look what's changed. They're clear out here, and now what do they say about these guys? The whole world is turned upside down by this doctrine. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? It's not upside down. It's getting turned right side up. It's been upside down since Satan took over. He's got the whole thing messed up. Jesus just came back and fixed it. The gospel, it's the poor, it's the meek, it's the humble, it's the lowly. Those are the ones that God is pleased with. Not those that are powerful and rich and wealthy and are at the top of the pyramid. What Jesus did, he came and he just flipped it. You know? No, no, no. What I'm looking for are servants. I'm looking for humble people, kind, loving, simple. Simple. And Jesus came and exemplified that to us, showed us what that looked like. This is the kind of God we worship. Look at me. Remember when Stephen said that to him? You know, Stephen's like, I, I, I'm not going to believe. I don't believe. And he says, I've been with you all this. Actually, it was Philip. Philip, have I been with you this long that you haven't seen the Father? That's what Philip's question was. Jesus, just show me the Father and I'll believe. He says, have I been with you this long that you, haven't, you don't see me, that you don't know me? The Father came. Jesus came, sent his Son to exemplify, to show us what that looked like, to show us what the servant looked like and what he is like. That's our God. He's humble. He's humble. He's a servant. He's all-powerful. He's king of the universe. He made everything, but this is who he is. And so they've turned the whole world upside down. That was the accusation in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 27 through 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised, God has chosen. Yes, and things which are not to bring things that are. And no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why he does it. Even Paul knew that when he wrote to the Corinthians. This is what God's done. He's used the things that are foolish. See, it makes sense that the rich guys, everything should be in charge. And God says, no, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. That's not what I'm looking for. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant of all. That was very humbling for most that thought climbing the ladder was all that mattered. Becoming rich was all that mattered. That was true. You know, that was the truth, they thought. These guys have really messed things up. They said they've turned the world upside down, and so they found Jason. That's pretty scary when a mob comes after you. You don't know what they're going to do, you know, Um, especially when they drag you out. I mean, usually that doesn't go very well. Usually they just kind of tear you apart with their bare hands, but this time at least um, they were going to do a trial, and so Jason's protected. Um, Verse 10, Then the brethren... Those are those that believed, 
sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now, this is one of those times where Paul doesn't argue. Paul goes ahead and leaves. As opposed to when he got stoned last time, left for dead, he got up and walked back into town. Or when he got put in prison and released, he stayed an extra day or two, and then he left on his this is different. This is like the basket situation when they let him out of the, out of the city, out over the wall in a basket. And there's times for that. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the, synagogues of the, Jew, or the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, Many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command uh, for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Okay, so here's what happened. They go to Berea. Berea is known for this phrase. They searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. They weren't going to just believe what the guy was teaching. They're going to make sure that what he was teaching was in the scriptures, and that's very good. Always, always, always. doesn't matter where you are. That's fine. I'm glad that you're a good teacher. I really enjoyed that, but I want to make sure what you're teaching is true. It doesn't matter whether you're eloquent. It doesn't matter whether it was interesting or even funny. What matters is, was it true? What difference does it make if it was a lie? Who cares if you were funny or eloquent? If it was a lie, it was a waste of time. Is it true? Paul wasn't a particularly good speaker. We know that. Um, He had a squeaky voice. He was not pleasing to look at. He didn't have really nice you know, hair product, you know, he just wasn't that kind of guy. Hook nose were described, Josephus describes him as hook nosed and squeaky voice and had weeping eyes, you know, like a Maltese, one of those little dogs, you got to kind of wipe the, that's how Paul was. He wasn't a particularly attractive um, person. Um, He's probably going to beat me up when I get to heaven because I said all that about him, but Was it true or not? And so the Bereans took the time to make sure. We need to take the time to make sure. We live in a country that just likes McDonald's anything. McDonald's is doing better with their menu. I probably shouldn't throw them under the bus every chance I get, but we have a McDonald's mentality. Someone else prepare it. Someone else get it ready. I just want to pay, drive up, and I want it ready within 30 seconds of me showing up at the second window. And if it's not, I'm looking at you going, what do you mean the shake machine's down again? The shake machine's always down. I don't understand that. It's because they don't want to make shakes. Who would? I guess. I understand. But that's my mentality. And that's with everything. That's with anything. You know, why is, why is there only two lines open at Walmart? You've got 27 lines and you have two people here. What is going on with this? You know, I'm going to have to wait. There's a person in front of me. There's one person in front of me. You know? We can be like that with God's Word, too. We can be like that with the Scriptures. We can be like that with our walk with Jesus. Oh, man, come on. I don't want to think. I don't want to read. I don't want to... Not always. 
These folks weren't like that. These Bereans, man, they searched it out. And they were known for that. And that's a good thing. But here's the thing. Once they searched it out, once they knew that it was true, which is key, they weren't just arrogant. They weren't just puffed up. They weren't just prideful saying, I'm not going to believe you. I don't care about you, Paul. When they discovered it was true, they received it. They received it in their hearts. Not just in their heads, but also in their hearts. They were fair-minded about it. Once they knew that what Paul was teaching was true, they received it in their hearts because it was found in the Scriptures. I see that Isaiah 53 does say that, Paul. I see that Psalm 22 does talk about a suffering Messiah. I see that what you're saying is true. I understand that what you're saying is true. And they received it with gladness. So important. We can't just be uh, skeptical all the time. It's fine to be that way, to make sure that it's so. But when you find out that it is, you're responsible for the truth that you now know to receive it with gladness. You can't throw it out. You can't reject it. You have to do something with it. You need to accept it as truth and be changed by it. That's how you know it's really accepted. When it's in the heart, a life change takes place. In the head, not so much. There's a nod. There's an agreement. There's a smile. You might even carry a Bible. But the life hasn't changed. The style hasn't changed. They're still just kind of doing their thing. But when it's changed, when it's received into the heart, there's growth, there's roots, there's branches, there's fruit in that person's life. That's how you know it's been received. And so these guys would. They'd daily search it out to make sure, but eventually they believed. And a church was started here, a wonderful church. Now, they have to get out because... As usual, when God does a work, Satan's not happy to let it just be there, to let it grow. Satan doesn't admire God's gardens that he's planting. He has to go in and mess them up. He likes to stomp around and wreak havoc. And so Paul needs to leave because he seems to be a a problem or a, a, a lightning rod. But he does leave Silas and Timothy behind. You guys make sure these guys get started off on the right foot. I've preached the gospel, they've received the gospel, the good news, but you need to teach them and I'm going to move on. And when you're done, that's what that message was, get to me quickly. Don't linger. Don't spend years here. I need you. I need you with me, okay? So get them going, set it up, and then get back to me here, okay? So that was the idea behind that. Um, Be careful what you believe as far as teachers go. Myself included, any any who's teaching you the Word of God. Be careful. There's a lot of guys that are out there teaching crazy stuff. And God's Word is so comprehensive, you'll know. There's, there's nothing that's, that's not covered, you know. You've got teachers on TV telling you right now that it's, it's not God's will for you to suffer. It's not God's will for you to be sick. Read God's Word. First uh, Peter chapter four verse nineteen. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in, in doing good, as a faithful Creator. How, what did I do with that scripture then? It's very clear there. God, it's like God knew. Okay, these guys are going to be wacky, and in two thousand seventeen, they're going to teach this crazy stuff on TV. So I'm not to wrap. Peter, I want you to write four nineteen for me here. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, so that. It's con- so anybody studying Scripture would hear that on television and say, nope, nope, that's not, that's not what God's Word says. It's different. God covers everything. He covers the folks down the street here who say that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now in Brooklyn, New York, from a secret chamber that only the elders can see him. 
He writes that down in Scripture and says, if anybody says that I'm in a secret chamber, don't believe them. When I come back the second time, you're going to see me. As far as the east is like lightning flashing across the sky, every eye will see. I'm not going to be hidden. Because he knew someone was going to say, well, we've got him in this secret room in Brooklyn and our guys can see him. And so we write the, a couple magazines every month about Awake and Watchtower and, and we pass those out. And he covers everything so you don't have to be duped. You don't have to wonder if it's true. We can know that it's true by reading Scripture. And so study it. We're, we should take this to heart, to be Bereans, to be fair-minded. But once we know it's true, to receive it. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, now, he's never been to this city, apparently, because he's walking around like a tourist, okay? When he gets to Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. That's the first thing he noticed. Athens is a pretty special city. I mean, even today, tourist attraction. You want to go there and you go see the what? The Parthenon. You know, it's a temple to a foreign god. You know, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to be pushing on one of the pillars, take take a selfie of me doing that, you know, shoving the thing down kind of thing. But there's nothing neat about that. There's nothing neat about, oh, this is where all the gladiators and Christians, you know, Christians were killed here, and this is where the gladiators, and it's Rome, but I mean, it, it all, they did it all everywhere. This has all taken place. There's nothing special, but Paul, when he gets there, as great as the city was, in its glory here, I mean, the Parthenon was still intact. It was still beautiful. In fact, he's going he's gonna to spend time on this Mars Hill here halfway up. He was provoked in his spirit because he was, he was sickened by the idol. The idol worship, so many idols, so many different gods, so many different things. They had an idol for everything, everything that was created, everything that was, uh, every, every creature, every uh, emotion, every, every uh, weather pattern had a God that you could worship. And then they had some that were called, they were to the unknown God you could worship here, just in case we forgot something. There's the God of wind, there's the God of anger, there's the God of violence, there's the God of sex, there's the God of, you know, whatever. We've got them all. You choose what you want. And then we got this one over here, the God of, we don't know what he does, but we know he's there probably. And you can worship there if you want to, to the unknown God. And Paul uses that. It doesn't matter how great the city is. Travel around. Colorado's a fantastic place. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But it's almost impossible to go there as a Christian and not feel the cultural rot that's taking place. This marijuana is now legal there. And Wicca is very popular there. And the New Age movement is very popular. It's difficult to go there and enjoy it when you know the people there that live there, lots of them, not all of them, but many of them are caught up in this stuff in their souls, you know. It's hard not to be provoked. How can you not see the beauty and the majesty of your creator here? How could you fall so far from it? New York City, been there, took Seth there on his 14-year-old trip. Beautiful place, amazing, bustling and hustling, but it's hard to go there and not see the people and the cultural rot that's taking place there, not be provoked. I don't care about the tallest building in the world. It's full of people that are perishing and they don't know Jesus, you know? Paris, the city of romance, beautiful, wonderful history, amazing stuff, but so far from God, so post-Christian right now. It's hard not to have empathy and compassion and a heart for the lost there. San Francisco, amazing. Golden Gate Bridge, beautiful. 
took Anna there on her trip. Wonderful place. Had a nice tandem bike experience. We rented a tandem bike and rode all the way across the Golden Gate Bridge and came back. But I don't need to tell you the cultural rot that's there and what the city's known for in its progressive attitude, progression. <laughs> it's regression away from the Lord. And so Paul sees this beautiful city of Athens and he's provoked. I've got to tell these guys about Jesus and his, his backup isn't even there. Timothy and Silas haven't showed up yet. Therefore, uh, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews uh, and the Gentile worshipers in the marketplace daily. I mean, he's everywhere with those who happen to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said to him, what does this babbler want to say? In other words, he's not a very good speaker. They were known for that. There's this place. Here's the Parthenon. It's on Mars Hill. Okay, Halfway up is an outcropping of rocks, and they would stand there, and they would preach. And those were the two prevailing philosophies in the town. One was, uh, I wrote it down, Epicurean. Epicurean started off this way. 300 years before, the Epicurean, the guy, the philosopher, said simplicity is pleasure. That's all he meant, to keep a simple life. And I can almost say amen to that, right? Get rid of your phones, get rid of cars, maybe ride a bike, maybe walk, maybe slow down, maybe work just 40 hours a week, you know? Slow things down a little bit. And you know what? I'd find a lot of pleasure in just slowing things down a little bit. That's not where that stopped, though. That philosophy, as all philosophies, take a life of their own and begin to, to wear... Everything is worshipped. Everything is pleasure. And that's where the Epicureans come from at this time when Paul's preaching. We worship everything. Everything is good. Everything's acceptable. Everything is God. And so that's why we've made all these gods to cover all of our bases. So whatever you want to do, it's okay. And you're worshipping and it's good. As long as you worship something. As long as you believe in something is the idea. As long as it's good for you. As long as it brings you pleasure. And that's where we are today. If it feels good, do it. That's Epicurean to the extreme, but not what he meant when he started. He was more like, can't we just have a bowl of rice and some water? And that's not where it is now. Okay, so that's one side of things. The other side of things is the Stoics. Those are the other philosophers. Stoics weren't bad. They just thought, you know, virtue was really important, but they didn't think that you could have virtue with emotion. And so they wanted to dis- to remove themselves from emo- not have any kind of emotional attachment to anything. That's what stoic means. You look at faces, right? Norwegians were known for being stoic and chiclet teeth. We have big teeth as Norwegians. That's where we come. But we're supposed to be stoic. My grandfather was very stoic. This is what he talked like this. He's very had a, a master's degree from I don't know where. But he's very important, very good man. Don't misunderstand me. And I don't mean, I'm not making fun of him, but he was very difficult as a child to get to know, you know, because he was stoic. That's what we use. This is so far beyond that. This is more like Spock kind of stoic. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to bring in movie references, but you got to get a picture completely emotionless. I don't get detached, Jim. This is what, you know, that kind of thing. And so now that moved into atheism. That's where it went to. From stoic to emotionalist, pulling yourself away from anything because everything physical is evil. 
everything physical is evil, to atheism. We just don't believe, period. It turns into that. That's what it evolves into. So you got these two extremes. Everything is good. Everything brings pressure. Worship everything to worship nothing. Nothing blaze, Nothing uh, brings pleasure. Everything is uh, this is pointless. There is no afterlife. There's nothing. It's just we're like we're like viruses and bacteria on this earth. Whether we live or die makes no difference at all. That's the two extremes. And so these guys would take turns on this rock. <laughs> Worship everything. Look at us. We're the happy party guys. Don't do anything. It's all a waste of time. I mean, that's all these guys saw all day long. So that's what was happening on this Mars hill. And then Paul shows up. Isn't God good? Paul shows up with the gospel. So a Christian shows up here, a Jewish Christian, and this is what he says. So what is this babbler I want to say? They see him talking up there. Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of a foreign gods because he preached them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, that's that outcropping, that's Mars Hill, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but, e- but either to tell or to hear something new. You got a lot of problems here. You got guys that are just, everything's worthless, everything's awesome, you know. And then you got the people listening going, I'm so bored with these two guys. Is there anything new out there I want to hear? These are the Christians that go to the Christian bookstore to find the latest and greatest and the newest book. Oh, you know, the shack, the shack. Oh, no, 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 Jabez, the prayer of Jabez. That's the new thing. Oh, wait, 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 wait. And they just knew, knew, knew because they just can't deal with this. I want something new and different, something new. J.C. found a book there. What was that? How to Be a Worldly Christian was the actual title. (laughs) No lie. And you'd think, oh, that's catchy. They're trying to suck you in because they're going to tell you about, you know, being worldly, you know, being of the world, not in the world, or being in the world, not of the world, or whatever, you know. No. How to be a worldly Christian, literally going ahead and living a life of forgiven sin. And JC was like, you know, you know, right there in the bookstore. Like, well done, son. Oh, they're out of business, aren't they? Interesting. Hmm. I guess I'm not that sad. Anyway. Got to be careful about that as Christians that we're not looking for the next latest and greatest. Have you read this new book by this one guy? I, I don't know. Does it contradict what's in here? No, no, no. It's biblical. It's Bible-based. So does it say anything new here? Well, no. It just, okay, so I've got it. So I own it already. I mean, this is the smallest library in the world right here. Any Christian library out there, it's all in here anyway, right? How to deal with grief, it's in here. How to deal with Success, it's in here. How to be a servant of God, it's in here. What's God looking for in a man, it's in here. How to have a great marriage, it's in here. It's all here. How to have a devotional life, it's here. Just read Proverbs. It's got a great devotion. It's 31 of them. Isn't that convenient? You know, one every day. Just read a proverb every day. It's all here. 
I don't mean to make fun. I just, I do. I mean to make fun. You know, sometimes we need it just a little bit. It's right here. So these guys, the Athenians, are all there. We want to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men, in, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, obviously. Look at all the gods. You have something in your, this is what he means by that. You have something in your heart that longs to worship something bigger than you. You know there is something bigger than you. I know that you have this desire. I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. In other words, I'm about to introduce you to the one you didn't get introduced to yet. It's an open door. He uses it. God, the one, the unknown God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. This was completely foreign to them. He just knocked out every other god because every other god had been made with hands. They formed it, they imagined it, they made it. This one's got, you know, this, this one looks this way, and this one looks this way, and they understood that. He can't be made with hands. He, he made everything. So everything you created is within. So he's bigger than all of that. So he just wiped out all you know, a million plus gods there. And he gets him to, I, God wants you to know him. And so I'm going to introduce him to you. He made everything. He gives you breath. Hmm. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The two poets he's speaking of are Arate and Asleniathens. Yeah, that guy. Two A names. They're actual poets, and Paul quotes them. He says they even said we were his offspring. And uh, he's right. He's right. God says that. You are my children. You know, um, we, we, we call ourselves adopted kids, but we were created by him, and that's the idea behind it. And Paul says, you found it. Isn't that great? One blood, every nation. You know there aren't races. You know that's all made up? Different race. You're a different race. There's one race. We hopefully understand that. Adam and Eve produced all race the one race, the human race, that's it. There are no races. There's difference in the amount of melanin in your skin, perhaps. In your geographic lo- location, you could say you're a national. You could bring into nations, maybe, but that doesn't change anything. There is no race. It's all the same. Every single human being is one race. We all came, not only from Adam and Eve, but then if you want to break it down, Noah, even, and his three sons, that was the next breakdown, you know, going small to, to big. So Paul, knowing this about them, is speaking to where, he's going to them where they are. This is where you're at. I understand that. You're worshiping all these gods. I understand you have that desire, and God knew that. He put that desire in you, hoping that while you're groping, you'd find him. Groping around in the darkness, blind, spiritually blind. 
But God wants to open your eyes so you can see the truth, and God can do that. If there is a God, don't you think he wants to be known? And if he wants to be known, don't you think it's possible for him to make himself known to you? And if that's the case, then what do you have to ask him? God, I want to know you. Make yourself known to me. Open my eyes to see you. It's a very simple prayer, and God will do that. And so Paul is doing that. He finds an opportunity. Hey, why don't you come up here and preach? Glad to. I see you guys are religious. I see that. I'm going to talk to you about this one over here, the God that you don't know yet. He made everything. He gives you breath. He gives you life. He put it in your hearts to seek after him, and I'm here to tell you about him. And so he begins, for we are all offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And that's where they tune out. No, none of these guys wanted to think of the afterlife. None of these folks wanted to think of being raised from the dead. That was too weird. Nothing of the flesh is good. Why would he rise from the dead? To them, to die and to become pure spirit without any kind of flesh, that's the ultimate. So when you tell me he rose from the dead, we, we know you're a liar because who cares about the flesh? Who cares about that rising again? That offended them. We're okay with believing that he made the heavens and the earth. We're okay with him giving us breath. We're okay with him creating us. But when you talk about raising from the dead, that's when we tune out. Paul is trying to get to a point here. He wanted to get to the point of Jesus. He wanted to tell them about this man. I know you've been ignorant up till now. Ignorant is not a bad word. It's not a, a, cut down, or a put down. It means without knowledge. I know you've been without knowledge till now, but now he's calling you to repentance. Now he's calling you to believe. In John chapter 4, verse 24, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And he's given us the ability to worship him in spirit and truth. And God's done that for us through his son, Jesus. He wanted us to know him. He wanted us to know him intimately. He wants us to know him intimately still. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can know him even better, to understand his word understand who Christ was and is. And so as he says this, this raising from the dead, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others says, we will hear you again on this matter. Completely unaffected by it. These two groups. Yeah, right. And they mocked and walked away. I just, it's unbelievable to me. I can't believe that. I can believe this, that, or the other thing, but I can't believe that. And it's amazing when people reject the truth, what they will believe what they will believe. The others, I think, is the worst group. This is the hardest group to minister to later on. We will hear you again on this matter completely unaffected by the gospel. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great, Paul. I'm glad that worked out for you. Maybe I'll talk to you next week. That apathy, that complacency. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysus, the Aeropagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Just a handful of folks come out of this. This is a tough ministry for him. This is a tough speech or preaching or sermon for him to give because 
he's used to when God's spirit falls, it's an amazing work. You know, people, churches get planted, people get saved. Just a handful of folks here. The next place he goes to is Corinth after this. And it's interesting how he starts off his letter to 1 Corinthians. You should read it. You can tell, you can tell Paul's heart here in verse se- chapter 17 based on what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When he says, when I came to you guys, I couldn't come to you with any fancy words or anything. I just preached Jesus and him crucified. You know why he said that? Because he didn't get to talk about it here. The last place I was at, I was building up to it and they all walked away. What a crushing blow for an evangelist. Right when you're going to let them know who this unknown God is and what he's done for them, Jesus Christ and him crucified, they all walk away. And you don't get to tell it. So when you get to Corinth, the first thing you say out of your mouth is, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. You get that out of the way right away. Jesus, God's son, sent to earth to die for our sins. He was crucified. Now we can go from there. Let me tell you about what he did on this earth. And that's where Paul starts in Corinthians. I love that. It's a good message for us. I think it's a good lesson for all of us as far as ministering to people. You do want to build relationships with people. You do want to slowly let them know. But at some point in this loving conversation you're having, we've got to get to Jesus Christ and Him crucified because that's the gospel. That's the good news. We don't sit here every Wednesday and Sunday because we need therapy. We sit here because we want to know our Savior better, that He saved us from our sins, what He's done for us. My good deeds, my works, my change in attitude is not for salvation. It's not to keep salvation. It's from it. That's the only way life changes take place in people's hearts and when you tell them what he's done for them. Like Paul said, what could we possibly do for God when he's the one that does everything for us? And when you realize that and when you tell people that, when you talk to people about what Christ has done for them, That's how hearts get changed. That's the love that people experience from their Father in heaven. Oh my goodness, I can't believe he's for me. He's not against me. He's not a hammer waiting to fall on my head. He actually reaches down with compassion, knowing my weakness, knowing that I'm just made of dust, and and saved me from my demise. And when you know you've been saved and redeemed and his blood was shed for you, then life change takes place. Then people's hearts, people live for God. Not to get God, but for Him. They live for Him. It's all we can give back to this Creator who gave us everything is our love and obedience. That's it. We made it. Even with two battery changes, we we survived. Let's pray. We'll close in prayer. And if you need prayer before you go, please come up. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to become a Christian tonight, what that means is you want to be a follower of Christ. I want to follow Jesus. You can simply pray with me right now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I understand that now. My eyes have been opened. I want to know more about you, though. I want to see you better. I pray that As God, as someone who's done everything for me, I pray that you'd continue that work in me. Open my eyes to see everything about you. I want to know you. I want to know you. I don't want to know anything false. I I don't want anything untrue. I want to know who you are. I want to know everything about you. Would you teach me? Would you show me? 
as I read your word, as I read the Bible, would you show me what it means and how to read it? How, would you explain it to me? Would you teach it to me by your Holy Spirit? I just want to have a relationship with you. And I thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to reach down to me and to save me from my sins. Now, Lord, help me to walk with you as a friend, but also as a servant. As you are king and you're my servant, you demonstrated that to us. I want to be your servant, not for salvation, but from it. God, help us to see those around us, for those of us who are Christians, who do follow hard after you. Help us to see the needs around us, Lord, to minister to people where they are, to teach like Paul did, whether that's in a synagogue, whether that's on the side of a hill, whether that's in the marketplace, wherever. Help us to preach you, Jesus, to talk about you with people. Give us the words, the right words at the right time, but to never leave out the cross and to never leave out your resurrection from the dead, which is the power of the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.